the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of the Wall Street Business Network, this station, its management, owners, or advertisers, and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Insightful. Informative. Irreverent. We're ready. The Wall Street Business Network presents Rob Black and Your Money, your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finances, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800-516-1220. So call in. We'll chat and uh, have some fun. Now, to start your day with the latest news and market commentary, here's Rob Black on the Wall Street Business Network. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money invested, and more. One of the most important things for me is to take care of my children. Today, they're finishing school. Super proud of them. Left a nice little letter for them. I think that kind of stuff is super cool. I've got a friend who's got a kid who's in preschool, and he's stressed. He's teaching his kid Chinese. He's teaching his kid Japanese. He's teaching his kid about 80s bands. He's always constantly teaching his kid. I'm like... I don't think you need to do that. Just enjoy them. Um, kids remember stress. They don't remember everything, but they remember stress. So my whole goal is as a parent is to get my kids to 21 years old, pay for college, whatever college they want to go to. I'll do it. I'm good with that. Um, but to give them lessons that they can you know, be a better person. And I, I think millennials are that, and I think Generation Z will be that too. Is I, I don't think they're going to feel the stresses of the '80s and '90s and stuff that we all went through. So, part of my budget is their future. I build that in. I stress over it. I'll probably die a little early, and they'll probably go, "Well, Dad didn't have to die early," and I, I probably don't have to die early. But I want to take care of them if that makes any sense. We all have different goals and different issues. My mother had six kids, which stop and think about that for a second. And there was a miscarriage in there, too. She was pregnant for over five or six years of her life. That's crazy. And her goal, she didn't have a goal. She raised good kids. Um, she protected us from our dad, who kind of got into the military. He didn't have parents. He was an orphan, drank too much. He wasn't emotionally there. Oddly enough, I'm not emotionally there. Um, I try to be. And with kids, you, you, you tend to find that. But uh, we all have different goals with our money. Now, for me, I get enough of your emails, and I work in the field enough to know 
it's not easy out there to be 18 to 21 year old and enter the job market. Jobs aren't glorious at this point in time. I was lucky. I was stupid. And I started my own company and I was like, well, I'll start my own company. And, uh, I was really good at writing plays. I was really good at writing TV shows and I made good money doing it. And the next thing you know, I was like, well, how do I invest this money now? And I was better than the broker that I got in New York. And he's like, why don't you intern for me this summer? I'm like, sure. So I started working basically for free and I was better than him at it. And at one point in time, I hear the song Salisbury Hill by Peter Gabriel and uh, it changed my life because I heard it for a different way than I'd ever heard it before. Um, I heard me in it and it, it changed me. So I literally left that night. I was like, I'm quitting my job. I'm moving back to the, my home in, in Washington, D.C. And um, starting my own company. Like, I, I, I it's, it's a song I think about Christ climbing up a hill and getting a vision and like saying, hey, we need to make this world better. Something like that. It could be about anything you want it to be, but Peter Gabriel said it was about his decision to leave Genesis. Peter Gabriel is in Genesis, and if you want to trip your kids out, make them watch a YouTube video of Peter Gabriel in Genesis. He used to wear, like, uh, neon-lit, iridescent cheese heads with a cape. So he's made it very, very clear that, you know, breaking from society and doing your own thing is important. And I want my kids to break from society and do their own thing. He was part of Genesis, and then Genesis had to replace him, and they're like, who's going to be the singer? And there was that guy, Phil Collins, who played drums. He's like, I'll try it, mate. I know you're saying, it doesn't sound like that. All right, then I'll try it. Okay, he's not Australian. But that's how Phil Collins became a lead singer. Because Peter Gabriel left a band. Door closes, window opens, right? I decided I'm not going to work for anyone. And, you know, writing plays and TV, it's strenuous because you don't get paid for six months. I was hired out of college into a theater in Chicago in Cabrini Green, the toughest neighborhood on the planet at the time. It's since been gentrified and, and basically bulldozed down. They didn't realize I was Caucasian. It was an all-black theater. And my black theater teacher... African-American, whatever you want to say. He, um, in college, he's like, you're good. And he taught me a lesson. He goes, you don't have to write the great American novel in your 20s. You could wait till you're 50. So he taught me patience and understanding to follow in your heart. I'm never going to write the great American novel. I've given up on that. I wanted to. I thought I could do it. I had a teacher named Richard Bausch in college. And if you ever check out Richard Bausch, he wrote stories about fat little girls who couldn't get over the pommel horse. He didn't like creative stories. He didn't like... He wanted, like, the pain that is the fat little girl who is at her gym meet and and jumps on the pommel horse and hits square and falls over. I'm like, nah! I kind of want a creature involved. I kind of want something supernatural to happen to the girl. Like, okay, so she hits the pommel horse. The next night, you know, one of the uh, beasts of burdens, one of the things that that, uh, pollinated the world, that, you know, man didn't come from Adam and Eve. Man came from the beast of burden, according to Indian myths, right? Or you can go with Aboriginal myths, and it was something totally different. I've had that creativity. So this song sparked me to start my own company, and here I am talking to you today, teaching you to love your kids and give them a lot of support and to hopefully take care of them in the future. 
Most men will say it's the, the mother who makes their kids great. But trust me, it's also the dad. So anyway, with that being said, um, big expectations. And there's the story of how I got into business. I was a writer. Bet you didn't know that, huh? And that song, when he goes, boom, I know I could see my heart going, boom, boom, boom. He basically broke from society. What was the line? Um, I didn't, I, I was feeling part of the machinery. I was feeling part of the scenery. I walked right out of the machinery. My heart was going boom, boom, boom. That worked for me. So I kind of like Peter Gabriel as an artist, too, because he's not a great singer. He, he kind of chants to me. Like, he, you know, most of his music, he doesn't hit high notes or low notes. He doesn't. He has no soul, per se, but he chants. So there you go. There's that story. Cross that one off my bucket list. Tell that story every 10, 12 years. So that song, every time it comes on, it makes me think of feeling part of the scenery and walking right out of the machinery. There's that, you know, if you start your own company, it's a beautiful thing. And that's one of the things I'm afraid of is that kids won't be able to start their own company like I was. Um, you know, at this point in time, you need an algorithm to get into finance. And it, it's out there. So anyhow, and anyway, that's my thing. Kids are finishing school today and then they get summer. And my whole goal is, you know, I started my friend that he's all stressed about raising his kid. I was like, was there anything in fourth grade you did that ruined your life? And he's like, no. I'm like, do you remember anything that you didn't learn? Do you, is there anything that hit you that, that caused you to be a, a, a failure? He's like, no. I'm like, stop stressing on your kids. Let them be kids. Anyhow, and anyway, I take a different approach to things. Um, walking around in the machinery, I was like, how do I reinvent the wheel here? And, you know, things like me telling you that Scrooge was an investor god because he hoarded all his money. I hate it. I love that movie. He was a cheap old miser. He didn't pay his employees anything. You know, Tiny Tim had a handicap and he didn't, you know, help him out. Nope, nope, nope. He hoarded everything. He didn't even believe in love because love was too expensive. And at the end of the movie, he's like, here, go take money and go get a goose. And he was too kind and too nice and generous. So I love that movie until it ended. I think that all makes sense to you. I have to tie together stories on money to make make sense to you. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money investing, and more. Everything I hold dear resides in those eyes. You got that power over me. We're making financial sense of your portfolio. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. You got that power over me. So my mom had six kids. And I, like, earlier I told you that that's five years of being pregnant. That's a long time. She's an amazing person because of that. She, to me, she's a goddess. Um, the ability to carry a child. Whoa. That's quite impressive. My father, on the other hand, he made good kids. He made us smart. He put a lot of pressure on us. We kind of got to have a normal childhood till about eight. And then pressure started we started doing book reviews at home at dinner we would argue pros and cons on abortion pros and cons on uh you know segregation pros and cons like and one night you were pro something the next night you were con something so he taught us how to debate and how to see both sides of every story um pretty awesome if you think about it in hindsight we didn't sit at dinner and go well how did the yankees do today or you know gee the giants had a good day mom wasn't she was kind of a wallflower because dad kind of led these conversations with five boys. So one of the things we did was book reviews and 
we would have to find our own books. We weren't told, you know, go read this book. One of the very first book reviews I ever did was O.J. Simpson. <laughs> I remember it very clearly in second grade. Um, he was a hero at that point to many young children. And uh, he grew up in a tough life, but I'm not going there. I want to tell you about a book that I love. And to this day, I still love it. And I read it not every year, but pretty close. It's called The Death of Competition by James Moore. And sadly, this guy's not prolific. Uh, one of the things that I did in school was I was never smarter than you. I, I just outworked you, if that makes any sense. Um, I was always in the library reading. I was a voracious reader. One of the things that I came upon in college was an article called Predators and Prey, A New Ecology of Competition. And basically, James Moore did this an amazing thing where he created, he starts by talking about Hawaii and how it has an ecosystem. And if you introduce something new to that ecosystem, it could kind of disrupt things. And he did amazing examples of Walmart versus Kmart in discount retailing, Apple's ecosystems and personal computers. Um, he was pretty it's a pretty good read. It's a pretty easy read and it's a great business read. He taught me how businesses interact, how they cooperate, how they compete. If you take a look at today, salesforce.com and, you know, learn that he studied under Oracle kind of makes sense. He sees four different stages of growth in a company, the train of opportunities, the revolution spreads, the red queen effect and renewal or death renewal or death. It's like that old phrase, cake or death. I'll take cake, please. <laughs> no, that's not how it works. You you have to take death. No, you said cake or death. I'll take cake. Get in my belly. So death of competition, leadership and strategy in the age of business ecosystems was he basically became really well known and really well touted for predators and prey, a new ecology of competition, which was in the Harvard Business Review. I know you're saying you read the Harvard Business Review. Like I said, I'm not smarter than you. I just outread you. Everything I ever learned, I learned in a book. Um, I learned how to love in a book. My dad didn't teach me. I learned about children in books. Uh, you know, they, I learned the, the power of drama in books. I learned that life can be incredibly beautiful. That uh, Depth Third Trilogy by Robertson Davies is one of my favorite collections of books. You know what's amazing about it? I've recommended that to like 10 personal friends and, and lovers and sweethearts. And no one can get through the books. And yet they're incredibly simple. Robertson Davies was a Canadian author who died uh, in the 2000s. But as a Canadian, he brought a, a uniquely Canadian presence to his, his writing. So like the Depth of Trilogy, the first book, the very first thing that happened was two kids were having a snowball fight. And uh, one kid's just a rotten kid. One kid's a sweet kid. And the rotten kid puts a rock in a snowball, throws it at the kid. He ducks and hits a pregnant woman and out comes a baby Three months too early. First book's about the kid who docked, who was sweet. And he goes through life events. The second book was about the kid who put a rock in the snowball and how miserable his life been mean and, and just even all of his family members. He just had a mean essence to him, a wrong, wrongness essence. The third book was about the kid who came out early and he becomes this amazing magician because he's born super tiny. So he's really good at sleight of hand kind of stuff. And it taught me like, you have different perspectives in life, right? And none of them are, are, are right. And you can see things three different ways. 
And literally, like, there's a parade in after World War II in the books, and, you know, one of them's in the parade, one of them's watching the parade, and one of them, you know, his kid uh, skipped the parade or something like that. Uh, so perspective is super important. When you bring perspective to investing, it really helps. And when you bring ecology to investing, it really helps. So when you start reading Gordon Moore <clears throat> and uh, James Moore, sorry, Gordon Moore is the gorilla game guy. James Moore is the death of competition. You really kind of learn, like, it's kind of fun what I do. When you start comparing, you know, IBM, boy, did they mess it up. In the 60s, they had it all. They were the supercomputer power company that was going to change the world. And they didn't really want to do it. They just wanted to be the, the guy in suits who show up and fix things. So they, they ask a little company, Intel, hey, can you make a processor for us? And Intel's like, sure, we'll, we'll do that. And they asked Microsoft, hey, can we can you put a software that we can put on our, our mainframes and our computers that we sell? And Microsoft's like, yeah. And IBM's like, we're not going to pay you any money. We're going to pay you shillings. I know you're saying, what's a shilling? Shekels. Let's go shekels. Um, in honor of someone. I don't know who, but in honor of someone. So IBM messed it up. They could have controlled the computer market. They could have dominated. To this day, it would be Microsoft plus Intel if they wanted it to. But no, they blew it. So it was all about they weren't competitive enough and they didn't see where that went. Walmart versus Kmart. Kmart was well known in the 60s and 50s of Kmart is in New York City and Chicago and Los Angeles. And Walmart's in like podunk hick towns. And Walmart went after everything that Kmart left on the ground. And then they set up a great network of uh, distribution. And because they had a better distribution network and Kmart kind of relied on Harvard students to like say, we need more inventory. And we think the hot fashion this year is going to be this. They were wrong more often than not. Flash forward 20, 30 years and Walmart ate Kmart like a donut, like a donut hole. So anyway, if you want a good book that I recommend, you may not like it as much as I do. Ford versus Chrysler, Walmart versus Kmart, IBM versus Intel and Microsoft, Apple versus Microsoft. It's all in there. It's The Death of Competition by James Moore. Let us to our hideout, forced away inside. Now they want us to surrender. Your comments and questions are always welcome. Visit Rob Black online at robblack.com. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. This song's called Nothing Breaks Like a Heart, and it's by Mark Ronson, featuring Miley Cyrus. I don't know where that all started happening to music, because trust me, I'm not that smart. But I do like a good story. Mark Ronson, his father was famous, and musicians would come by his house all the time. So as a kid, he got influenced by musicians. And he's an amazing producer, and he rarely, rarely takes credit. He was the guy who wrote that song that um, won the Academy Award last year with um, Bradley Cooper. You may have heard of him. And Lady Gaga. That's his. This is his. I think he's prolific, and I think he's fun. And if you ever hear him talk, he grew up in, I think, in Manhattan. I could have this wrong, Long Island. But he's English. So his accent is just something you can't understand and pick up. He's worked with some amazing bands. 
Um, Lily Allen, Adele, Lady Gaga, Amy Winehouse. That whole Amy Winehouse phenomenon was his. He did all that music, and she was just featuring it. She was good at it. She died way too early. He uh, did that Bruno Mars song that, you know, oh, was it the song of the year a couple years ago? So, talking about influencing people that you bring over to the house. It's pretty powerful stuff. Um, with that said, I, I'm kind of going kind of wacky on you today, and I, I kind of get it. One of the very first things I knew, I grew up overseas a lot, so we didn't have TV, so I read a lot. We didn't have the internet, so I read a lot. We didn't have much to do except for explore foreign countries, which was great. And um, my producer just walked out of the studio. I could say any dirty word I want to right now. <laughs> Kidding. Nothing. So, so one of the very first books that I ever read that I remember like hitting me was uh, Neuromancer by William Gibson. And uh, he used the word cyberspace and we didn't know what the word cyberspace was, but it goes back to the 1940s, early 50s. A mathematician named Norbert Weiner wrote, the future offers very little hope for those who expect that our new mechanical slaves will offer us a world in which we may rest from thinking. Help us, they may, but at the cost of supreme demands upon our honesty and our intelligence. That was Norbert Weiner, God and Gollum in 1964. Um, mathematician. So he came up with the word cyberspace and it probably goes back to the French as well. Um, but brief history of the internet, you know, I, I think the military did a really good job of, of creating the internet on a lot of levels. Computers have been around for thousands of years, whether you look at it as an abacus or a jaqua loom that led to the punch card technology and IBM kind of dominated that computers became permanently networked. I think around 1960s is when we kind of could say the modern computer. Um, but we're slaves to machines, and computers were a big part of World War II. They were military technology, created the first steps into computer networking, creating what ultimately becomes, I think, called Milanet, something like that. Um, technology development you know, was academic in business, but it was also well-funded by the United States Army. ARPA, the Advanced Research Projects Agency, is known by created the Defense Department in response to the 1957 Sputnik launch. So it's all about the, the 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 dirty Russians and the race to space and having nuclear capacity and knowing what to do with that. Um, but yeah, my first introduction into cyberpunk or into cyberspace, William Gibson, Neuromancer, and to this day it it, it holds up quite well. Um, I think Gibson did he do the Blade Runner movies? Or in books. <laughs> yes. Yes. I just said that. Um, kids today, they don't know what books are, right? But they know what movies are. Oh, you know, one of my favorite moments in the history of the Internet was Y2K. And if you were born in the 90s, you probably didn't appreciate this. But the world was pretty fearful that suddenly they weren't going to get Social Security checks. After the year 2000, suddenly things like Social Security couldn't be possibly can be computer because computers were based on two numbers for years. Of, uh, what year were you born? Um, and there were businesses that started up and I was invested in some of these businesses that would go into a company and change all their code because they were coded incorrectly. And uh, Y2K planes were supposed to fall out of the buildings. A lot of people were thinking this is probably not a good year to be in New York City at Times Square. 
because something could go wrong on Y2K. Isn't that funny? I don't know if you remember that, but I, I certainly do. And it was called Milnet, the military branch of the internet. Um, and then probably in the 1990s is probably when you could say the 80s is when the army really got used to this information. One of the coolest things my dad ever did was he was involved in getting the internet and networking up to speed for the U.S. Army. And he gave a little project to a guy from Texas who had big ears named Ross Perot. And he turned Ross Perot from a millionaire into a billionaire by giving him an army contract. Uh, worthy of note. I mean, he's a Republican. You may not like him, but worthy of note. And uh, in the 1990s, we kind of got greedy. And well, well, before that, in the 80s, my dad brought a computer home once. And it had a, a coupled modem. I think that's what they're called, where you would actually grab the phone. And phones used to have an earpiece and a mouthpiece and a handle. And you would put that phone into the modem. And it would get in there nice and snug, and there's a little rubber boot on the bottom of it. And uh, I played my very first video game. Uh, it wasn't a video game. It was a teletype game. So you'd read the printer. It would go, and it was like NHL hockey. And you'd pick a team, and it'd, go, it'd send an information to the database. And it, a couple of seconds later, it's like, you chose the Washington Capitals. And it would type it all out. Um, at the face-off, do you want to go power high or power low? And you go power high, and it goes, it'd send it off. It, was, it wasn't a choose-your-own-adventure, but it was kind of a choose-your-own-adventure. <clears throat> so this is all interesting to me because I was fascinated with this damn thing. My dad was doing work from home, and I don't even know what he was doing. Um, <laughs> but he showed it to me. It's probably the greatest thing he ever did. Uh, to this day, I, bu- I build computers, and if you help a kid build a computer, he'll remember it for the rest of his life. So whether it be a cousin or your own kid, build a computer this summer, and it'll, it'll fascinate them putting one together. And in second grade, I was uh, at North Elementary. We were the bees. We were kind of bad ass, if you know what I'm saying. We were the North Elementary bees. Um, we were all that in a bucket of chicken. And uh, a guy from IBM or some company came to our school, and he brought a computer, and it was, it was a little bit, it was, it was fancy. Um, and it, he literally let us do a Mad Libs. And, you know, every kid in class, he'd say, well, let's, let's come up with a, ma- a noun. And, <coughs> excuse me, I got the Black Plague. I got a black lung, Dad. Um, those two experiences, my dad showing me a computer and me playing a game on it and him not being mad at me while he was doing it. I think he had a sense of pride. And then um, the, the, the little situation where a Mad Libs was done. I was fascinated with computers and it changed my life. Um, I became good at investing because of it. I became good at investing in tech stocks because of it. I understood tech stocks better because of it. I can, I can point at other events in my life. I remember in seventh, eighth grade, um, a detective knocked on our door and he's like, you know, knock, knock, knock. He's like, I need to speak to Rob Burt Francis Black. And I was like, yeah. And uh, I was basically getting arrested, not arrested. Um, that's too dramatic, but I basically worked on some code and some ideas to it was, it was called black box freak technology. So you can basically get free phone calls, which is pretty fascinating because when you're in your seventh grade, who do you need to call? But calls were expensive. Then if you had a friend in California and I didn't have a friend in California, it cost you a buck a minute or something like that. So and the, the detectives like, you know, you're in a lot of trouble. 
and um, he said, name five people. And I, I, I was a rat and I named five people fast, um, you know, who are all involved in the uh, basically we came up with a software that would do dial tones. And you don't remember this, but when you used to have a phone that you'd pick up off the wall and had the 12 keys, the one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, zero pound and hash. Um, if they made tones, beep, 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 beep. And you could actually call into a MCI sprint. It was MCI back then, but you could actually call into a MCI satellite and get in for free phone calls. Didn't know we were being traced. Didn't, didn't always keep a record of it. We just thought it was fun. Um, and there was bulletin boards. Long before there was AOL, there was bulletin boards, and you'd post messages and you know share information. And uh, I ratted out a couple people. So, and then probably like tenth grade, I was learning how to break video games. So you basically buy a video game, you could learn how to break it, put a software patch into it, put it on your computer and keep it, and return the game kind of thing. Um, or you can make a copy of it on a floppy drive. Oh, floppy drives, five and a quarter. Do you guys remember five and a quarters and three and a halves? Oh, they were not good. Um, it's a bad memory for me, but yeah. So I kind of was a hacker and I had the best name ever, the black hack. Um, so I started taking business classes in high school and I had a teacher teach me about COBOL and uh, she loved COBOL. She was one of those, you know, COBOL enthusiasts. There's basic, there's COBOL, C++. Things haven't really changed all that much, but COBOL was a pretty hardcore, easy-to-learn language. So for the final report of the year, because she loved it so much, I did a report called COBOL, the dead language. I, I intentionally tried to piss her off, and I was actually pretty good at the presentation. Like I walked around the room, and everyone was laughing. I was giving people massages while I was speaking. But that's a little history of me and the Internet, and it starts with uh, William Gibson. And neuromancer, and it ends with me being a jerk to a teacher, who later I went back to and, and told her she was a great teacher, and you know changed my life for the better, and got me into business. Anyhow, and anyway, I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Build a computer with your kid this summer. I'm Rob Black. Visit Rob Black online at robblack.com. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. Boom shakalaka. I'm straight out of Compton. Uh, Not so much. I come from a military family, but I did come to California. And when I came to California, one of the things I learned was Trader Joe's 20 years ago. It wasn't an East Coast phenomenon yet. It's become one. Trader Joe's introduced supermarket innovation into a business that doesn't have a lot of innovation. They had the most amazing thing. And you can go back to 1958 and Joe Columbia. He's Trader Joe. There is a real Joe. And he basically did a small chain of convenience stores in Greater Los Angeles. And it was called Pronto Market. He saw a lot of competition from a little chain called 7-Eleven. 7-Elevens are everywhere. They're like cockroaches on the East Coast. They're everywhere. If you've seen one, there's a million, right? Um, but Trader Joe's kind of was a play off a tiki restaurant, Trader Vic's. Um, 
and it kind of was able to differentiate them. But I know Trader Joe's. My first exposure was Two Buck Chuck. Now, keep in mind, on the East Coast, we had like Boone's Farm wine, which if you drank enough of it, it was like a buck ninety nine. It was like grape juice with lots of alcohol in it. It made you blind. It's just a myth. Something else made me blind, but it wasn't it wasn't uh, Boone's Farm wine. But Boone's Farm wine is awful stuff. And out here they had something called Two Buck Chuck. I'm like, I bet it's awful. It's got to be like Boone's Farm. No, not so much. How can a bottle of booze, the same size as a bottle of soda, or how much can a bottle of booze cost as much as a soda? It made no sense to me. Two buck chuck. Buck 99. It was the iconic Charles Shaw wine. And how did they get it so cheap? The wine debuted in 2002. See how I said about 20 years ago when I came to California in 2000, I learned about two buck chuck. And it was kind of a religious experience for people. It was so important to them. It was ingrained in their life in California. It was an offshoot of the Franzia family, which makes the boxed wine that you know and love. Who doesn't love boxed wine? Bronco wine, which makes Charles Shaw, grown in the San Joaquin Valley in California, is cheaper than growing in fancier Napa or Sonoma. And it's it's kind of like that wine country movie where, yeah, I'm, I'm dropping the name of it. Ugly guy, beautiful woman. It's not the end of there. But it, it was based in an offshoot of California, not very famous like Sonoma or Napa. And if you're drinking Sonoma or Napa wines, good for you. But two buck chuck will get you just as as intoxicated as a, a nice a nice cabernet from Sonoma. The production of the wine was in bulk, and that's where Trader Joe's really figured it out and came up with two bucks chuck. So Trader Joe's says like we want to offer product that's good. It doesn't have to be great. It's good, but it's cheaper than the stuff you can get elsewhere that's great. So bargain wines. Um, the wine was made, <clears throat> and they put it into a smaller, lighter bottle. If you pick up a bottle of Napa wine or Sonoma wine, you'll f- you'll feel that bottle is like really heavy and dense. Not so much with Two Buck Chuck. And <clears throat> the heavier the bottle, the more the shipping cost is. So they really took every margin out of the business that they could. A lot of people don't know that there's not a lot of difference in food manufacturing in the United States. There's a huge difference in the, in the product as far as the packaging goes. And that goes for things like um, generic drugs versus prescription drugs. <clears throat> the prescription drugs, and this is where the pharmaceutical companies are kind of evil, they do a lot of branding and they do a lot of marketing and you're like, I want Viagra because I saw that commercial. <clears throat> I want Silas because I saw that commercial. And there's generic versions of those and they're way cheaper and it has the same active ingredient. And if you're wise, you go with the generic stuff. Now, I'm not going to sell you on the idea that cheaper is better. I know that. <clears throat> I'm going to tell you that honey roasted nuts from Cherry to Joe's are probably just about the same as honey roasted nuts from... Safeway, just about the same as honey roasted nuts from Whole Foods. Yeah, no kidding. But most people, they, they, they don't want to admit that. With that said, I know a lot of mothers, and now you're saying, where is this going? Is this sexist? Be careful, this hashtag me too thing. Don't do it. I know a lot of mothers who are religious about Trader Joe's and getting their groceries. It goes back to my mother, and my mother wasn't, <clears throat> I never saw a Trader Joe's in her life. But my mother was on a budget. And her budget was X amount of dollars for groceries. 
If you have a budget, you go to Trader Joe's. If you don't have a budget, you go to Lenardi's or Whole Foods. You know, I knew people in the 2000s going to Whole Foods and it got the nickname Whole Paycheck. Because it took a whole paycheck. He came out with a bag of groceries and it was like 120 bucks for a bag. And you're like, well, how did I do that? Well, you just bought goose pate that was massaged by a small yeah from Napa. Very, very fancy goat cheese. Goat cheese Trader Joe's is just as good. You probably can't tell the difference in a blind taste test. Ooh, that would be fun. We should do a blind taste test on this show. We could do the Beyond Burgers, the fake meat versus the real meat. The fake chicken nuggets versus real chicken nuggets. Where's the beef? Where's the beef? Clara Peller and Wendy's. Man, I miss her. She's dead. But she left an iconic image. And, you know, Wendy's always had this thing where they were kind of like the poor man's Burger King. And then they weren't the poor man. They had the square burger. They had the fresh burger. They had never frozen patties, right? They had their angle. And it took Clara Peller... To basically make fun of a McDonald's burger. It wasn't a McDonald's. It was probably like a McRonald's. Because you can't actually say the name of the company. And uh, it took her marketing. Do you see how much life is about marketing and packaging? There's really not that much difference sometimes. If it's marketed well. Or if it's packaged well. Um, is sometimes the, the final decision on how we do it. So Trader Joe's has expanded its cheap wine inventory. Recently unveiling canned sparkling water uh canned sparkling wines that cost four bucks for a four pack hey i'm just saying you can sit around you're in high school i'm not saying underage drinking's cool but kids are on budgets people are on budgets i get why trader joe's is a religious experience for a lot of people in large part because in the end they're on a budget i'm rob black talking all things financial find me online at robblackshow.com Views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of the Wall Street Business Network, this station, its management, owners, or advertisers, and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.